Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I'm also a 2003 graduate of the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in broadcast journalism. I am so glad you found our podcast. Alex Klein has always had an eye for talent on the basketball court. When he was still in high school, he traveled the Northeast breaking down the top basketball talents. Players and coaches alike came to rely on Klein, and when he was 16, he started his own recruiting website, The Recruit Scoop. Klein quickly earned a reputation as a scout with reliable intelligence on the players he was tracking. While he was earning his undergraduate degree in broadcast and digital journalism in 2016 from Syracuse University, Klein landed a job with the NBA's New Orleans Pelicans, first as a basketball operations assistant and later as an Intel scout. He served four years with the Pelicans before moving on to a similar scouting role with the New York Knicks. As the NBA season is set to resume from the bubble at ESPN's Wide World of Sports Complex in Orlando, Florida, Klein joins us on the Cuse Conversations podcast to discuss his career as a scout, his front office aspirations, his time at Syracuse, and his efforts to raise money for cancer research. Alex, thank you so much for making the time to join us on the podcast today. I appreciate you having me, John. Definitely honored. And, you know, I think there's so many great Syracuse alums, so many great Newhouse alums. So, um, you know, just, just honored to be included uh, with many of those great names. What were your goals coming into Syracuse, Alex, given your background with recruiting and then your major of broadcast and digital journalism? Yeah, John, I, I really wanted to be Jay Billis or one of those great ESPN personalities talking basketball. And I guess I got a late start to it, but everyone was joining Citrus and WAR and all, all the different media you know, conglomerates and all that. And I just kind of took a back seat and I said, you know what? I'm not all that comfortable with this yet. I'm, I'm more of an introvert. Um, and it's funny because part of me still wonders, like if I had done all that, what could have been? Um, but I guess, you know, everything happens for a reason and I certainly don't regret it. But yeah, no, I, I think ultimately then you start getting into your new house classes, you start getting into the bulk of, you know, journalism and all that. And I just kind of realized that I enjoy parts of it, but other parts were not for me. Um, you know, I, I can do the TV part, but it just didn't drive me the way I thought it would. But I think, you know, I, it's not like I completely scrapped it. And I always kind of had a clue at an early age of what I wanted to do to some extent. Um, but I think, again, when you go through a lot of different experiences, both good and bad, you know, and Syracuse provided that for me, uh, such a great learning opportunity, you know, you, you get one or two steps closer to figuring out what you're trying to do. Now, obviously, Alex, before you came to Syracuse, you had developed quite a career for yourself as a basketball scout, and you were doing it at an age that it would seem from the outside was earlier than a lot of, of your peers. Uh, what was it about scouting and being on the basketball courts, identifying talent? What drew you to that field in the first place? So I started out as a high school basketball manager in Waterbury uh, my freshman year. Like there was no set goal of, I want to be a basketball scout. I want to be this. I want to be that. It was more so I just want to have a community around me that supports me and 
you have consistency in your life and, and good people. And my dad was always tough on me early on in that he kind of instilled the reality that, look, a lot of these guys on the team, they're playing and they're probably going to play in college or do something with it. You're not playing, you're washing the uniforms, you're, you know, doing all this other stuff that doesn't really lead to anything. So that's when, you know, I kind of had that moment where you just realize, Hey, it's time to get serious. Even though I was a freshman in high school and that's where me and a friend started a uh, media website, um, just kind of focusing on pop culture. And I kind of took on the role of, you know, wanting to interview people and lo and behold, realize, okay, well, we can't get in touch with celebrities. We're 14 years old. We can't get in touch with professional athletes and collegiate athletes are tough as well. So shoot, we're high school, high school uh, athletes, high school individuals. Like, like, let's just, let's interview our classmates. Let's interview people they know. Let's interview, you know, high school basketball players, high school football, soccer players, people like that. And from that point on, I just kind of took a liking to basketball, getting into it, you know, the manager route and started going through Facebook and Twitter. And at that time, it was like 2009, um, 2010, you know, times when social media was really starting to take off and slowly realized that recruiting was a big thing and scouting was a big thing. And all these, all these college basketball fans were such big followings and they loved this stuff. For me, it was just kind of falling into blind luck because from that point on, you know, the internet can make people stars. And I think because of the unique approach I took and a high schooler covering high schoolers, you know, it was kind of the first time anyone was doing it. It was really unique. And I was beating my competition, you know, um, for, for information on Twitter and articles, breaking news on college commitments and what schools kids were interested in and just getting all this access to players that not everyone had. Um, It it was kind of unheard of. And, you know, I I think as a result, you're going to these games, you're around all these players, you start watching, you slowly realize and learn how the game of basketball works. And for me, I didn't really know as much as I could have just because I didn't really play a whole lot growing up. But, you know, it, it was just an opportunity to learn. And I don't know, it's, it's funny how, you know, a decade later, it's led me to the career I'm in now where, you know, your whole life is consumed around learning players inside now and watching basketball. And uh, if you told me back then that they'd pay you and, you know, you get benefits to uh, watch basketball, I, I'd tell you you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you know, you talk about the, the most basic of, of humble origins for your career, but you know, you're, you're out there. And, and when you're, again, when you're a teenager, you're out there out hustling a lot of these older, more established scouts, maybe you had a different perspective or a fresh eye, but what did you try to do differently when it came to scouting these players that they weren't getting from the other scouts? Was it just a combination of social media and outworking them? Because it feels like there had to be something you were doing that was going above and beyond what your competition was offering. Yeah, I think a lot of it was just being comfortable. Um, I was comfortable in who I was and I was comfortable just relating to the players. You know, I realized that we could talk about anything and 
I think they realized too, you know, he's a good guy. He's about the right things. Um, you know, while I did make mistakes as anyone would starting out, I think I always tried to do right by the players, tried to do right by the families. Um, and I think that's the important part. I think, you know, journalism is such a cutthroat industry where, you know, you're given access to really sensitive information and to people who, you know, can't trust everyone. And it's all about what do you do with that sensitive information? How do you present it? How do you handle it? And for someone who was not a professional, I tried to be as professional as possible. And again, I, I definitely made some mistakes that you learn from, um, but I think people realized my character and they realized I was always genuine and a bit innocent and, you know, just trying to do right by people. I was always trying to connect the players with the coaches, the coaches with the players. I, I was trying my best to give honest evaluations and pair the right people together. Um, and, and again, I think over time, you eventually build up a good reputation by just doing the right thing. It, it's very simple, but I think unfortunately it's not as common because so often you're trying to, you know, get ahead quickly. And for me, it was all about, and still is all about process. Um, I think if you do things the right way, you know, it's as simple as that. I think that it usually works out for you in one way or another. You were a teenager, you're working on these scouting efforts. Was there a moment when it all clicked for you and, and you did have the light bulb go off where it's like, you know what? I can have a career as a scout. I can make a future for myself doing this because it seems like you clearly have the work ethic and you clearly have the, the drive and, and the, the knowledge to succeed. But, you know, it, it maybe was there a moment that kind of really cinched it all for you to say, you know what, I can definitely do this. I mean, it's all still so surreal, which is kind of weird to think, you know, a decade or so later. I think when college basketball coaches started reaching out to me, at that young age and asking for my opinion and then actually taking my advice. And we're talking about, you know, ACC schools, Big East schools, Big 10 schools, Big 12 schools. And they're going and following me around at events, watching players that I'm suggesting. That, that part was kind of hard to believe because why would they listen to me? I never played the game. I barely lived. <laughs> but again, I think the unique part about social media and the internet is you can gain influence and clout. It's just a matter of, are you going to use it the right way? And I could have done things selfishly and done things the wrong way by leading these coaches to the wrong players. You know, maybe someone could have offered me a cash handout and said, Hey, you know, if you, if you pump up my son you know, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 you know, make it worth your while. And um, I was just always trying to do right by people. You know, I never wanted to cut corners. I always wanted to make sure that everyone was left happy. And I guess in a way that was the early uh, businessman or entrepreneur in me is, you know, I guess the, the customer's always right. And although I wasn't running like an ice cream stand or something like that, I, I think it was my way of running an ice cream stand where, you know, you connect the, the player and the coach and you find the perfect fit and the perfect level and everyone wins. 
Was it hard to break down, Alex, some of the barriers to entry for this profession, especially, you know, when you're going and visiting a lot of these, you know, big time college coaches, there's a great uh, anecdote in a New York Post article profiling your rise to fame where they're talking about Jay Wright and you go to, you, you keep requesting access to go to Villanova and Jay Wright's response when he meets you was, wait, you're only in high school. And, and he kind of you know didn't think that someone with your knowledge base had been as young as you were. How did you go about building up that trust with the coaches and, and trying to show them that you might be young in life experience, but you're doing things the right way when it comes to scouting? Yeah, I think it's, it's where you try and treat everyone equally, um, whether they're the head coach of a, of a big-time program or, you know, a, a low, low-level assistant coach or whatever it may be. Um, I try and treat everyone the same. It's not easy. I think a lot of people can relate to that. But it's why at this age now and, and where I am now, I, I still try and reach out and help as many people as I can, um, especially young people. I think young people have a lot of great ideas. They don't always know how to handle themselves or put, put it together. Um, and I can empathize with that because I went through that myself and I, I was very successful at it and very lucky, but it takes good older people, good mentors to believe in you and maybe not give you a job offer, maybe not you know, do anything life-changing, but I just think the power of someone believing in you when most don't goes a long way. And there were a lot of detractors early. There were a lot of people in that media industry who, you know, honestly, they made me feel like I was doing wrong. And, uh, you know, there were many times I thought about getting out of it and quitting. But eventually I think you grow up and you learn, look, there are a lot of insecure people in the world. There are a lot of people who, you know, didn't, understand that, hey, you know, your actions and your words can impact someone in either a positive or negative way. And that's where for me now, because I'm lucky enough to have survived that and made it, that I want to make sure anyone who's ever going through that challenge, you know, because when you're young, you're not confident, you're not sure of yourself, and you're definitely not self-aware, but make sure that they have an equal opportunity and a fair shot, you know, even, even if their dreams sound crazy. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really provided me with a lot of insight. I think going through those barriers, I think, you know, adversity is, is what makes you who you are. You can handle tough situations. Everything else is going to be easy. Yeah. And, and Alex, you talk about the, the barriers to entry and, and proving that attractors wrong. I'm sure a lot of it had to do with you were out working some of the older scouts who were taken aback and maybe, you know, a little bit threatened by someone who was young and succeeding at your, at your job uh, and doing such a great job of bringing the Intel to the coaches uh, and, and promoting the players the best that you could. It's clear you have a strong work ethic. Where did that come from? Who really instilled in you that drive, that work ethic and that sense of being genuine? Um, I, I think a lot of it stems from, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And of course you have good days and bad days on the job, but quite frankly, I never really feel like it's work for me. I never really look at it like that. I really couldn't understand. My friends often joke with me, you know, what would it be like if you were working 
you know, a nine to five or a sales job, or I just think for me, I was lucky enough to find that, that, that one love early on, you know, it's like those uh, people that you meet that have been married for 60 plus years, you know, basketball was that for me, it was an escape. It was something that built me up and gave me an identity. It was something that gave me confidence. Um, It's something that keeps me in check in many ways. And it's not just basketball, it's the people within it. I was really lucky to find it early, but I also think, you know, I've had a good support system around me. Um, I think my, my mother and father, and although my, my mother's been gone for about, you know, 16 years, um, they were the perfect opposites attract in terms of, you know, my dad was a lawyer and very intense and hardworking and ambitious. And my mother was more, genuine, kind, sweethearted. Um, yeah, I, I always think you're like, a, you know, the perfect combination, or sometimes, you know, not so great combination of your parents. And I think I take kind of both. I think, you know, it, it's so rare. And I often joke about it with coworkers, like, you have people who are very, very skilled and talented and competent. And then you have people who have great personalities. Usually when you're hiring, you, you kind of either have one or the other. And it's very tough to find both. And I think as someone who's a big believer and you can control what you can control, I try and be both. Um, because you can't have one without the other. If you have a lot of great ideas, but no one likes working with you, well, that's not going to work. And if everyone likes you, but you don't really bring anything to the table, that only gets you so far. So I think it's important to have both. Otherwise, you're not going to have success. You've got a keen eye for talent on the basketball court to be 26 and to be working for your second NBA front office with the New Orleans Pelicans being your first franchise and now with the New York Knicks. What kind of intelligence are you able to pick up about a player and his game as you're watching and scouting him that can then translate to whether they'd be a good prospect, whether for colleges or, you know, with the NBA draft, uh, there's such uncertainty with the European players, uh, how they're going to fit in here with America. I guess how, what makes you stand apart when it comes to the intel that you can gain by watching a player? Well, I think it's always trying to figure out one story and figuring out why someone is the way they are. I think that's the most important part because at the end of the day, you're investing in players, but more importantly, you're investing in people. And that's why it's so important to understand and dig deep when, you know, a player isn't playing hard, when a player hasn't improved, when a player isn't making shots. Um, for me, it's not simply saying, Hey, they're having an off day or they're not living up to their potential or oh, they haven't, they haven't played well this season or, or, or the opposite of, you know, Hey, they're having a great season. You got to ask yourself constantly, what happened? Why is this the way it is? Because there's always going to be a reason. And I think that's the best way to project potential. It's not just looking at everything on the court background intelligence together and figuring out what lines up and what validates each other. And I think that's so important to all of this. And and I'm a very process oriented person in life and a very process oriented person with my job. And I think that's, that's the key to a lot of this. Every player has to be evaluated the same way. 
and through some of those tools. And I think too, when you, when you first get in the NBA and you haven't watched it as much, um, you're not as educated on what actually takes place in the NBA on the court. What goes into being a backup point guard? What goes into being the 15th man? What goes on? Why rosters are constructed the way they are and the different personalities in a locker room and everything like that. You soon realize why certain guys make it and why certain guys don't. So I think now, although I'm young, I still have a really unique experience, um, you know, now being with the second team and uh, experiencing New Orleans for four years and um, experiencing all the different colleges and college coaches I've been around, as well as being around youth basketball. I think it just, it gives you a very diverse palette in terms of being able to distinguish, you know, whether you like a player or not, uh, short-term and long-term. How were you able, Alex, when you were still in school at Syracuse, you know, you land a job in the Pelicans uh, department working as a scout, as an Intel scout and a basketball operations assistant. That seems a little bit unusual to be that young still in school and yet have a job in, in the MBA. Obviously, your skills are evident, you know, what you're able to bring to the table. You have a really keen eye for talent on the court. But how did you go about landing a job with an MBA team? There's only 30 teams out there. That's a pretty coveted position. So take us through the secret. How did you land a, a job in the MBA while you're still at Syracuse? About halfway through college, I kind of started to realize that, you know, I was a big fish in a small pond and wanted a bigger challenge. And, you know, you slowly do your research, you talk to a lot of people in your network. And, you know, I started to put two and two together and realized the NBA was probably what I wanted to chase after and got rejected from a number of internships and, um, you know, tried to do anything and everything to get in. And that's where, you know, I found a mentor who used to work in, MBA as an executive with the Boston Celtics. Um, and he provided me an opportunity to send out my scouting reports and work to NBA teams and have his name behind it. So there was a credibility factor. And on top of that, I was using my time um, along with running the high school website, but time um, and money to go to different venues, whether it was watching college basketball games and meeting up with NBA personnel, kind of like what I was doing with the college coaches, or, you know, flying out um, and going to their facilities and meeting the people there. So for me, it was, these people aren't going to come to you and chase you down. You're going to have to track them down. And I was just honest with people and letting them know what my intentions were. I I enjoyed recruiting. I enjoyed what I was doing, but I was ready for a fresh start. And I visited about a third of the NBA teams, um, just went to their facility and just tried to make a good impression. And whether they considered it an interview or not, I took it seriously. Um, It got to the point where oddly enough, and, and this is, trying to connect the dots here. Um, Junior year, go down in the spring to Mississippi, Biloxi, Mississippi, for an AAU basketball event. Uh, Interview a coach afterwards. He asked me what I'm trying to do. I tell him the NBA. He connects me with a skills trainer who connects me with an international scout out of Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, That scout ends up being with the Pelicans. We talk. 
I share some work with him. We meet in person uh, when he was in New York. Um, we stay in touch for a year, kept, kept him up to date on what I was doing. Eventually, one day he kind of alluded to, hey, you, know, you should come, come down to New Orleans, meet the group, all that. Um, kind of sort of took him up on it. Um, when I was in Orlando, trying to meet up with people with the Magic Organization, you know, two days after Christmas, my senior year, and I'm there and I asked the guy and it just turns out that the Magic were playing the Pelicans of all teams, go figure, good luck, good karma, I don't know, just worked out that <laughs> way. Um, but I asked him, I'm like, hey, you know, I, I know you wanted me to meet up with the staff in New Orleans as your general manager. Uh, is he going to be, you know, with the team in Orlando? He goes, yeah. I'm like, can I meet him? He goes, Sure. I figure it's just going to be a little five minutes sit down, um, 10 minutes into the conversation with him. He offers me an opportunity. I proved my value for the next few months working out of Syracuse my senior year. And um, a couple months later, got on full time with them and never looked back. So I'm a big believer in luck and timing meets opportunity. Um, but you also have to obviously put in the work and prepare for that moment because I could have done a terrible job with that opportunity with New Orleans, um, but it worked out. And it's, it's so crazy how life is. You really never know what can happen. Talk about taking advantage of the opportunity that's really you know, in front of you and putting forward your best foot to, uh, to make this great impression with, with the, the people that are making the decisions with New Orleans. And, and, and you make it to the NBA at such an early age you know, that's the pinnacle of, of basketball scouting is working for the NBA. Did you have, um, did you pinch yourself at all? Do you kind of feel that surreal moment of like, I cannot believe that I'm here. I'm in the NBA. I'm, I'm scouting these players that are going to be trying to play in the NBA. I'm helping out with the front office. Did you have one of those moments where it's like, holy cow, this is just so surreal. You know, it's weird, John. I don't think I ever have. And it's, it's to no fault of the NBA. It's not that it's disappointed me or anything. I, I'm someone who I try and be as even keeled as possible. And I think it's so important to remain even keeled through good and bad. And maybe it's because of what happened to me when I was younger and losing my mother. But I think the only way you can really sustain success, and, and that's the key word, sustain, is to be even keeled because you can win a championship and be as high as possible and happy as can be. Um, but lo and behold, you know, the show goes on, you still got to do more. And then you can be at your lowest point. Well, life isn't over. You still got to keep going. So for me, of course you smile and celebrate the, the milestones. Maybe I could do a better job at it. Uh, maybe it's the old soul in me but I'm someone very much about, who's very much about being even keeled. Um, I think you kind of have to be even keeled throughout this because you're going to go through a lot, of, a lot of wins and a lot of losses. It's really the one industry in the world sports where, you know, every day when you're done, you chalk it up either a win or a loss and it determines a lot about your life. It determines a lot of the stability, a lot of the happiness in a way. It's, it's a very bizarre industry when you really break it down. But I think right now, I, I really do like that challenge. But, but yeah, no, it's, I don't know if I've had that moment yet. There have definitely been some surreal moments, especially, you know, joining the Knicks, um, but just trying to keep the momentum going, really. 
You mentioned the wins and losses, the successes and failures in scouting, and especially when you're doing it, again, based off of potential. You know, the college players for the NBA draft, when they're out there putting their names out for selection, the scouts, the GMs are looking for potential. They want to see what your ceiling is and what your floor is. And it seems like that's, at least that's the buzzwords that I hear, you know, casually speaking, watching NBA coverage and watching the draft coverage. You obviously are, are living it. Is, is that true? Is, does, is that a lot of what the basis for player development is now in the NBA that they're trying to find not who you are now, but what your potential will be in, in three, four or five years? No, absolutely, because I think a lot of these guys outside of the top players, most of them aren't ready now. It's just a matter of, again, who's, who's going to stay even keeled? You know, when things aren't going your way, when you're not playing, when you're sent down to the G League, when maybe you have to sign overseas and maybe in a few years you come back. Um, I, I think just like our role in the front office you know, it's, it's the same way with these players. It's what's the one thing you do really well and how are you going to stand out and get that lucky break and that lucky opportunity. And so much of it really is persistence. You know, I think everyone kind of feels like the players are in a different world, um, but we're all, we're all in such a similar realm um, in many ways. So yeah, no, I mean, upside potential is a big part of it, but it's also finding guys who can help you win now, depending on where your team's at. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really unique field just because every, every pick, every decision, every signing, every trade, uh, that can be the one that makes you break to you. Is there somebody in particular, I'm going to ask you both sides of the coin, Alex, is there somebody that you scouted that right away you knew was going to be a superstar and was going to make it to the league who did make it? And was there somebody that you scouted or watched along the way that you were convinced was going to be, you know, the next LeBron James, the next Kobe Bryant, and for whatever reason, didn't quite live up to their potential? Yeah. I I mean, I I would say I've definitely had more misses than hits. And and I think it's more common than not, you know, in in, in scouting where no one's ever going to bat 500. You know, uh, and most people probably aren't going to bat 300, so you wouldn't find a lot of a lot of guys going to the Hall of Fame in baseball terms. But um, I won't get into specific names, but I think the biggest thing I learned transitioning from youth basketball scouting to the pro side was, you know, when you're watching youth basketball and you see, you know, some six seven kid throw down an ad dunk you're thinking wow he's a pro and a lot of people in the gym are going to label him a pro but ultimately you can't label based on you know entertainment fact so often when you're a fan of basketball for more you know better or worse you're going to focus sometimes on the wrong things you're going to focus on the electric dunks and that's a part of the game but it doesn't lead to that player being a success necessarily so for me, it's been great, you know, through all the hits and misses over the years, just kind of understanding what goes into a successful player and what goes into someone who maybe won't be as successful. There's been a lot of um, coaches and front office executives who have said that they can envision a career for you running your own organization. Is that something that appeals to you down the road? Uh, I think what appeals to me 
is being happy within sports. I think getting back to the whole, you know, stability of the, the industry, it's very fun from afar to look at it and say, oh, wow, this is, this is the life. And in many ways, it is the life. But the hours are insane. The level of commitment and detail is insane. The lack of stability is insane. Um, there's a lot of challenges that come with it that I think people in the industry face that aren't really known to the mainstream. I just want to be someone who's happy in the industry. There's a lot of unhappy people. And I think it would be a real success story just to maintain this and get as far as I can um, and be happy and do things the right way and have a good reputation and one day have a family. And I know those sound like silly goals or simple goals, or maybe I'm not thinking big enough. Um, I don't, I don't think, I ever expected any of this to happen. There was never that goal 10 years ago of I need to do this. Um, of course you think about stuff like that down the road, but I think at this point I'm just kind of living in the moment and enjoying it. And, you know, if there was one long-term goal, it would be just to be happy. Boy, you know, preach it, Alex, with, with happiness and with taking care of your own needs, because I think what we've all learned during these COVID-19 times are, we took things for granted before the pandemic and, you know, we get so caught up in the hustle and bustle that staying focused on the simple things, the simple pleasures of satisfying your needs and being happy and being a good person, those override, you know, most other prerogatives in our lives. And I know, you know, we talk about taking things for granted, you know, it's been more than four months since we've really had live team sports and major league baseball is going to set the pace uh, with their return to play coming up in a, in a week. And the NBA is right behind them on July 30th. Again, the action resumes uh, from the bubble in Orlando. How important, Alex, is it for the NBA to get this right and to have their season resume without a hitch? Uh, you know what? I think um, ultimately the NBA has amazing leadership. And I think things will go as well as they can. But, yeah, no, it's, it's challenging. Jobs stability on the line and a lot of much bigger picture stuff than really who wins and who doesn't win. So I think from, from my perspective and everyone else, I think everyone just, just wants to see some normalcy again and, and for this to go as smoothly as possible. Now you mentioned earlier, Alex, there's no easy segue to this, but you mentioned the passing of your mother and uh, your mother, Mary passed away when you were 10 years old from brain cancer. It's a horrible uh, adverse moment to have to deal with when you're so young, you were only 10 years old when, when she had passed away. And, and I, I'm impressed by how you handled it because you've turned that moment into really trying to honor her through your, your, your cancer research efforts. More than $200,000 has been raised so far in honor of your mother. Uh, such a, a horrible situation to have to deal with at such a young age. How did that tragedy shape and influence you and and what's really driven these efforts to give back you know to the cancer community and the and the the cancer research funds through the efforts that you've pulled off so far it's given me perspective i think it's led me to realize that even when things are bad they're not that bad Um, i think whenever you lose you know one of if not the most important people in your life you just kind of realize that like you know it's it's um 
I don't know. It's, it's tough to say because I, I think, you know, years later now, I'm still very numb to it. I think um, I'm, I've kind of grown accustomed to it. Um, I think most importantly, though, it's important to share how you're feeling when tragedy hits. I think it's important to open up to others. I think everyone's going through something. Um, you know, the pandemic, not to, not to get back to the pandemic, but it's been so interesting because usually when someone's going through something, it's not known. And this is the first time everyone's kind of being affected together um, as an entire globe. I mean, there've been other times, of course, during war, but um, this especially has affected everyone. And I think it's that one time where people are actually being empathetic and reaching out and, you know, how are you? Um, and it's all those little things, I think, that I learned from dealing with my mom, where people were being supportive early on. And it just made me realize, look, there, there's th things are bigger than work. Things are bigger than, you know, career. Things are bigger than you and I. Um, it's just so important to be kind to everyone. It's important to um, try and influence people in the right way and inspire people in the right way. And I think, you know, you really never know what's going on in someone's life and how, you know, one action or interaction with them or your words could, could make a difference. So um, for me, I think it's, it's made me much more empathetic and I, I just, you know, I think I do what I do because I care about people and I want, I want to see, you know, a better world ahead for everyone. Um, and I think because too, like we have the possibility and power to do anything we want, you know, and you really only get to, to live your life once. So why not go all out? Why not do everything you want to do? Um, for me, running those charity events, uh, the, the, the best day of the year, more so than all the basketball stuff, the accolades, all like running those charity events as stressful as they are, um, they do a lot of good for a lot of people and they do a lot of good for me just because I, I love helping people and I love making people feel good. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really unique. I, I never thought it would get to the point it's at right now where you know, 200 grand, that's a, uh, it's a steep number. So um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been really, really unique turning a tragedy into something positive I obviously never wish that on anyone, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's a great lesson in that, you know, when, when things go wrong, you can go one of two directions and you always got to choose, you know, the positive one. You know, Alex, I have to say um, it's, it's emotional hearing you talk about just the loss of your, your mother and turning this tragedy into something that's inspiring and positive for the community, because you really have such a good, head on your shoulders for someone who is in an industry that's very competitive and cutthroat. I would imagine there's a lot of people that think they can probably do what you do, but you're making a career, you're making a name for yourself. And, you know, you're, you're, you're just so humble and driven and passionate that, you know, it's really been my pleasure to get to tell your story here on the, on the podcast. And I want to say, keep up the great work with all your efforts, keep up the great work with your scouting uh, hopefully you'll be able to uh, you know, bring some really key talented players to the New York Knicks moving forward. And I know that it's, it's been a great career to watch so far. And we know that great things are still destined for you down the road, including 
probably being a front office maven who owns his own organization and, and runs his own franchise at some point. But as long as you're happy, I know you will do great things. And uh, it's really been our pleasure having you on the podcast today. No, I appreciate it, John. And uh, definitely wishing you the best and all your family and excited to get up to Syracuse again for games at some point. I always uh, enjoy my annual or uh, twice annual visits. Had, had a lot of good memories up there. Looking, looking forward to going back and um, just, just glad to be a part of this. So I appreciate you. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.